This is Sunrise, the who, what, when, where, why, and WTF of Florida politics. I'm Rick Flagg reporting from Tallahassee, where the governor is assembling a posse of Florida deputies to help patrol the border with Mexico. Florida is going to support Texas and Arizona. Uh, we believe that securing the southern border is important for our country, but specifically we believe it will benefit the people of Florida uh, to be able to get this under control. And so where the federal government has failed, the states are stepping up uh, and doing our best to fill the void. Ron DeSantis says Florida is being flooded with Mexican meth and fentanyl. He wants to cut it off at the source, but they have not figured out how many officers will be making a run for the border or when it will actually happen. The governor and the state clemency board issue a blanket pardon for anyone charged with violating local health and safety orders like Mike and Jillian Carnival. Thank you so much, Governor DeSantis, uh, not just on behalf of myself and Jillian, but for all Floridians who have been persecuted due to uh, COVID mandates and restrictions. You heard right. Enforcing a mask mandate is persecution. And Ron DeSantis says they were also victims of government overreach. They actually got arrested. They got charged um, with violating these emergency, quote unquote, emergency orders. Um, and this actually ended up uh, ruining their small business. Well, that and the unpaid rent, but that would complicate the narrative. Nikki Freed was the only vote against the blanket pardon. She accuses the governor of encouraging lawlessness and trying to turn Florida into a cradle for the insurrection. It's the end of an era as Florida Power and Light begins demolition of their last coal-fired power plant at the Sunshine State. The CEO of the state's largest power company says they're moving on from coal. As technology has advanced, thinking has advanced, our knowledge of what the impacts are, both environmental and economic, have advanced. We have come to conclusions that said we could do this better. And rather than being afraid of change, we kind of ran towards it. FPNL is building a new solar plant near the site of the Indian Town cogeneration plant in Martin County that was just blown up. You'll hear that later in the podcast. It's been more than six weeks since the end of the legislative session, and we're still trying to figure out exactly what happened. Here's how a group of lawmakers described the session in just one word. I would say it was a conservative session. I would say distressing. It was challenging. Well, I would say rebound. One word, and that was difficult. More spaghetti politics than I've seen in a long time. Okay, spaghetti politics is not one word, but there's always one guy who breaks the rule. We'll also have your daily calendar of political events and the story of a Florida man who told police it was okay for him to go bottomless at the beach because he was still wearing a shirt. It was not. And now the top stories on Sunrise for Thursday, June 17th. This is National Eat Your Vegetables Day. On this date in 1885, the Statue of Liberty arrived in New York City aboard a French ship. In 1901, the College Board introduced its first standardized test, the predecessor to the SAT. In 1947, Pan Am Airways chartered as the first worldwide passenger airline. In 1972, five men were arrested after trying to bug the Democratic National Committee office in the Watergate complex in Washington. And on this date in 2015, nine people were shot and killed inside the Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina, by a 21-year-old gunman. Governor Ron DeSantis is rounding up a posse to make a run for the border. The governors of Texas and Arizona have asked for help patrolling that border, and DeSantis says Florida will answer their call. Florida is going to support Texas and Arizona. Uh, we believe that securing the southern border is important for our country, but specifically we believe it will benefit the people of Florida uh, to be able to get this under control. And so where the federal government has failed, the states are stepping up 
uh, in doing our best to fill the void. Uh, we already have a number of sheriff's offices and state law enforcement agencies uh, that have committed uh, to sending aid. Uh, Florida Highway Patrol, Florida Department of Law Enforcement, Florida Fish and Wildlife, Escambia County, Brevard, Lee, Pasco, Hillsborough, Okaloosa, Santa Rosa, Homes. All these sheriffs immediately said, absolutely, count us in. And I think that this is, I think it's good for Florida to help get this under control. But I also think it's just something when we have these emergencies and we ask, you know, these states have been willing to send uh, help to Florida, uh, even if they wasn't had anything in it for them, just because it was the right thing to do. So we think it's in our interest to do that. We also think it's the right thing to do. And I want to thank everybody here for being willing uh, to step up. So uh, we are the first state to commit support for this effort in response to the request that was submitted by the governors of Texas and Arizona. And uh, we're proud to lead yet again on issues that matter to Floridians. Escambia County Sheriff Chip Simmons says his agency will be joining that posse. He says that's the best way to stop the fentanyl and the meth that's been doing so much damage in his county. Not a shooting, not a violent crime that goes by uh, that we investigate that's not involving methamphetamine. Not a day goes by at all that we don't, we don't go to a call where someone's overdosed on fentanyl. So we can talk about the sheer numbers and the pounds and the kilos that are coming from the border through the interstate into our own Escambia County. But what does that mean? It means people are dying on our, in our city streets, in our county streets, and it makes a difference. And again, it makes a difference whenever we decide to do something. We acknowledge this is an issue. This is a problem. We have got to come together. We have to do something with it. There's no word yet on how many Florida officers will be going to the border or what their precise roles will be. The governor says they're still working on the details. So I think some of those remain to be determined because we're going to work in concert with the states to figure out you know, where we would be the most uh, beneficial, uh, where we could make the most impact. Uh, they've been requested to go for 16 days uh, across a variety of different functions. And so we anticipated being in that in that two plus week period. Uh, how many of them? Again, once we work with the folks in uh, in Texas and Arizona, we can get a sense of what would what would work and, and what would be we be effective. Uh, there's also supplies they've asked. We're looking to see what they what they want in terms of like UAVs or some of these other things. So all that is going to be going to be worked out. Uh, we think this is something that they need on an emergency basis for a matter of weeks. That's what we're anticipating, and, and obviously, as we have finite numbers uh, and those get cemented, you know, we'll be. Uh, I know the sheriffs are going to be talking about in their community how many people from Lee are going or whatnot. And so, uh, but I do think it'll be it'll be meaningful. They have day jobs; they got to worry about that. They can't just do. But it's the type of thing where we sent people to California when they've had wildfires. We've sent people to Louisiana for hurricanes. States have sent people to help us. Uh, in the past. And so there's certain disaster emergency situations where we just tend to step up and help one another. And so that's what we're doing here. DeSantis says this would not be a problem if the Biden administration had stuck with the immigration policies established by Donald Trump. The governor and members of the Executive Clemency Board issue a blanket pardon for anyone involved with violating health and safety regulations imposed by local governments during the COVID pandemic. They did it in part for Mike and Jillian Carnival, who were arrested three times and were facing criminal charges at one point for refusing to comply with Broward County's mask mandate at their gym in Plantation. The governor portrayed them as champions of freedom and victims of an unjust bureaucracy. Mike and Jillian used to own a successful gym in Broward County. That all changed when the county decided to impose unwarranted, 
unreasonable restrictions on their business. Uh, they refused to, to kowtow to the county's uh, demand that they actually force the people who are working out to wear masks, which the WHO says you do not wear masks when you're exercising, um, that it's not healthy. Uh, so they declined to put people's health at risk um, and basically, I think, exercise common sense. Uh, and so they actually got arrested. They got charged um, with violating these emergency, quote unquote, emergency orders. Um, and this actually ended up uh, ruining their small business. Uh, and so when we saw that, um, you know, I was able to grant a reprieve uh, on their case. They were actually pending criminal prosecution in a court. Imagine like we see all these criminal activities that's actually going on that we need to be stronger on. And yet we're wasting time for somebody that's owning um, a gym. So we did the 60-day reprieve, um, and this applied to all their charges pending against bo both of them related to this. Um, it also applied to any individual or business who had similarly uh, been uh, charged uh, with uh, nonviolent uh, COVID-19 uh, restriction violations. We're happy to uh, move for the, the pardon uh, for you. Uh, so what we're going to do is anybody that's similarly situated uh, that, that has been either criminally charged or prosecuted for any type of nonviolent uh, offense related to COVID restrictions and these emergency orders. Um, I don't think, fortunately, there aren't that many people in your shoes. I think you guys are an extreme case. But to the extent that there are, we just want to say, you know, we've got to stop that. You know, let's focus on the real criminals um, and let's make sure that, that that's where our effort is. Uh, so I do, rem I, I do move for a similar, similar categorical grant for, for pardons for such offense like we did for the remissions of fines. Is there a second? Second. Okay, and a third I heard, and opposed, commissioner opposed. Okay, so motion carries. Thank you guys. Sorry about what happened. Mike and Jillian Carnival had a front row seat at the clemency hearing and were grateful for the governor's intervention. Thank you so much, Governor DeSantis, uh, not just on behalf of myself and Jillian, but for all Floridians who have been persecuted due to uh, COVID mandates and restrictions. And I'm here today to say that health and wellness has always been one of our foundational responsibilities to ourselves. It has never been role of government to be legally and lawfully enforcing and dictating health and wellness. So today is um, something that I'm very grateful for. It's really amazing that Governor Ron DeSantis has uh, granted us clemency for this. And it's just affirmation that, um, you know, we were onto something. We were onto something. So thank you so much. Thank you so much, Governor Ron DeSantis. I am filled with gratitude and I honestly am really excited for the chance to move forward with my life and rebuild my business. So thank you so much for that opportunity. Agriculture Commissioner Nikki Freed was the only member of the clemency board to vote against the blanket pardon. Her office issued a statement saying the governor is actively encouraging people to break the law with politically motivated stunts like this. And we've seen what happens when rogue citizens are empowered by misguided leaders. She goes on to say we have laws for a reason and cannot allow the governor to turn Florida into a cradle of the insurrection. One word. How would you sum up the entirety of the 2021 legislative session in just one word? That was the question posed by Peter Shorsh of Florida Politics during a virtual meeting of the Suncoast Tiger Bay Club. For Representative Ben Diamond, a Democrat from St. Petersburg and candidate for Congress, the word was distressing. We had a number of bills passed through the legislature, the voter suppression bill being number one on the list that I think were really hurtful for Floridians. 
and also a number of missed opportunities and ways we could have done more to help people coming out of this uh, public health crisis that we just uh, we didn't we didn't take up the, the opportunities that we should have. Senator Daryl Roussan, a Democrat from St. Pete, was thinking along those very same lines. One word, and that was difficult. Difficult because of some of the things that passed, like the anti-protesters bill, transgender bill, the voter suppression bill. We were fighting the boogeyman. And good because there were some other things that passed that did our businesses good and our communities good and our constituents well. And Representative Michelle Rayner, who's also running for a congressional seat in St. Pete, says it was a challenge for all the Democrats who are outnumbered in the House and the Senate. I would say that it was challenging. Um, and I think that there were a lot of missed opportunities, especially when we're thinking about unemployment and what that looks like for people. And I think that uh, kind of dealing with some of these culture war issues just made it really challenging. With the GOP firmly in control of state government, you can understand why Democrats use words like distressing, difficult, and challenging to describe the recent session. But to Republican Representative Chris Latvala of St. Pete, it was all good. I would say it was a conservative session, and and the um, you know we were right off of a election, and the voters sent us to Tallahassee, and we did uh, what they sent us there to do. Representative Tracy Coster, a Republican from Tampa, says her word is rebound. The central focus of of this legislative session was COVID. I think it permeated through much of what we did this session, and we focused on the rebound of our state and. Um, And so I would say the word rebound. But the best description of the 2021 session comes from St. Petersburg Senator Jeff Brandis, even if he couldn't do it with just one word. I'm going to do it in two words. Um, I'm going to call it spaghetti politics, uh, where we threw everything up against the wall and see what stuck. And uh, and some of it was good policy and some of it wasn't. And and that's, you know, but, but more spaghetti politics than I've seen in a long time. Brandis is a Republican, but he will call out his own party leaders publicly if he thinks they are wrong. And he doesn't mind being the only one to vote against a bill, which happened frequently during the session of 2021. He has one more session left because of term limits, and then we will lose our last maverick in the Florida Senate, which will be sad. The Senate used to have a reputation of restraining the worst impulses of the kids down the hall in the House of Representatives. But these days, they're embracing the chaos. FPNL blows up its last coal-fired power plant in the Sunshine State. Eric Sologi is president and CEO of Florida Power & Light. He says demolition of the Indian Town cogeneration plant in Martin County is part of the evolution of the state's largest power provider. This plant was built with the best of intentions, using the best technology at the time, and it served customers really well. But we came to the conclusion that there was a way to do it even better. As technology has advanced, uh, things of thinking has advanced, our knowledge of what the impacts are, both environmental and economic, have advanced. We have come to conclusions that said we could do this better. And rather than being afraid of change, we kind of ran towards it and said, you know, we're going to embrace this. And we're going to figure out ways to do this differently. So I am very proud of the fact that as part of that, we ended up buying out this plant buying out the contract, and at midnight on December 31st of last year, New Year's Eve, this plant was officially retired, and the last coal plant in Florida, uh, FPL's fleet in Florida, no longer was producing electricity or emissions. Something I am very proud of, like I said, it's been a long journey to get there, 
but it's not a journey that just started with this plan. It's been something that we've actually been working on across our entire fleet for quite some time, actually for decades. We're now one of the cleanest electric utilities in America because we've been doing this now for 20 years. It's been a march. But it's also saved all of you and all of our customers a lot of money. $11 billion is what we haven't spent in fuel that we would have bought had we kept the old plants. That's $11 billion that stayed in your pockets, in our customers' pockets throughout Florida. It's $11 billion that stayed in Florida's economy. It's $11 billion that helped Florida be more successful. And the other thing is, is we have an economy that largely turns still on tourism. One in eight jobs is tied to tourism in Florida. That's why being clean is also very important. Yes, it's the right thing to do for future generations, and I'll talk about that, but it's also the right thing to do for business and economics for the state of Florida. One in eight jobs is tied to tourism. Most people work their entire year to save up for that vacation. For the last year and a half, everybody's been trying to figure out how the heck to get out of the house to go on vacation, so they're coming. But look, if you've worked all year long to save up for that vacation, you decide you're going to come to Florida, and you're on final approach into West Palm, right, into PBI, or you're going to Orlando to take the kids to Disney World, and you penetrate a smog bank on final approach, or you go to the beach and get tar on your feet, or go swim in the water, and it's not really very nice, you're not coming back. And if that happens, we're all in trouble, folks, because the economy will go in the tank. The reason that you and I don't pay a state income tax is because of tourism. Being clean is smart business. We have an obligation to make sure that we're doing the right thing, not just for today and for the economy, but also for our future generations, most importantly, for our children, for their children. We'll continue to innovate. We'll continue to make a difference. And I think we'll continue to do things that future generations will look back and be proud of, that our children can be proud of, our grandchildren can be proud of, and we'll remember today as a first step in a long march to cleaner energy. So let's count it down. Seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. FPNL has already begun work on a new solar power facility near the site of the old coal plant. It's one of 40 projects that are in the works, part of what Sologi calls the largest solar build-out in America and maybe the world. Your calendar of events, the University of Central Florida trustees meet at 8.30 in Orlando. Florida State University trustees meet at 9 in Tallahassee. The Florida Communities Trust meets online at 9. Senator Janet Cruz and Representative Fentrice Driscoll hold a press conference at 10 to talk about legislation creating a task force on studying, identifying, and memorializing abandoned African-American cemeteries and burial grounds across the state. The Florida Supreme Court releases opinions at 11, and the trustees of Daytona State College hold a workshop at 1, followed by a board meeting at 2. Finally today, a 64-year-old Florida man who is trying to get an all-under-tan has been busted in the buff. When police arrived at the lifeguard tower at Clearwater Beach, they found Alan Stewart Volpel lying on his side with his package clearly on display. When they asked him why he wasn't wearing a bathing suit, Florida man told them it was okay because he had permission to go bare down there as long as he was still wearing a shirt.
After his arrest, police discovered he's a registered sex offender who was convicted of exposing himself to a minor 20 years ago. That's it for today's installment of Sunrise. I'm Rick Flagg in Tallahassee, inviting you to join us again tomorrow as we plumb the depths of Florida politics. Oh,